This is Inspiring Design, where unique innovators come together to share their knowledge, share their insight, and keep us up to date with the latest industry trends. And here's your host, Rashan Senanayak. What's up, listeners? Welcome to episode 18 of Inspiring Design with yours truly. Today is all about building design, and I've got a close friend and a special guest here with me, Ryan Gross. Ryan is a founding partner of MR Designs and has more than 13 years of industry experience. He's worked in established design firms across all project types, but specializes in townhouses, multiple dwellings, new home designs and Queensland renovations. Ryan and his team recently won four awards at the Regional Design Awards by the Building Designers Association of Queensland, and um, he's got a wealth of knowledge when it comes to building design. Ryan, welcome and thanks for giving up your time, mate. No, that's fine. Thank you for having me. It's uh, fantastic to be a part of your podcast series. Awesome. Uh, Can we start off by discussing a little bit about your background and history? Okay. I... uh Obviously, I'm a building designer. I didn't know I was going to do that at first. I thought I was in high school, didn't really know what I wanted to do. I knew I had a creative flair, knew I liked the arts, graphics, uh, you know, fun subjects. So leaving high school, wasn't really sure. So I packed up my car and I went to Nambour and studied interior design. Uh, to start with. That's and different. I, didn't, I actually didn't see that coming. <laughs> yeah. I did that for a year and got a Cert for in interior design. And then there was this class always happening next door at the Nambour TAFE uh, building design. And I was like, well, what is this? This is probably something I'm interested in. So I looked into that. And then the next year I swapped over to that and started my two-year course to get my building design license. Awesome. Yeah. And um, how did you actually realize interior wasn't necessarily your thing you wanted to go a little bit bigger than that well it was when we were given one room to do and a budget and asked how many meters I need to reupholster this chair I realized it wasn't my passion (laughs) so it it wasn't you know interior design in the sense that we use it in other businesses where we still you know do kitchens and bathrooms and laundries this was fabrics and I was definitely out Wow. It wasn't my thing. Yeah. No, that's fair. And um, I think this is timely as well because the previous episode was all about interior design. And uh, Emma actually came from an architectural background and she's now doing interior. <laughs> so I'm, I'm finding this pattern coming across a lot within the different disciplines. But um, shall we discuss a little bit about how we become a building designer? So you mentioned um, the certification or the qualification that you went through. Um, can you explain the formal process where someone can become a building designer? Yeah, so it's it is a like a, a tertiary education. So you do have to go uh, and do some formal training on it. So generally, you'll start off with your uh, certificate four in building design, um, and that's enough to get you started in the industry. You can just do that. It's a twelve month course, and it will teach you the basis of the basis basics um, construction knowledge, and will give you enough knowledge to go out there and work in the industry in residential. Yeah. Uh, and then, you know, if you enjoy it, you pass and you have some success, you stay on and you do the diploma, which is the second year and it's based all around commercial. So you spend your second year doing commercial buildings and projects right. uh, and submitting assignments for that. Um, and then that gives you a higher level of license at the end that 
is fantastic, but you have the you can have the same career at the right. end, whether you do the one year or the two. Yeah. But obviously, it's recommended to do the two and get the full education yeah. Yeah. for it. Um, it's available online. Uh, it's available through SkillTech. Uh, I think one of the most renowned places to do it would be Brisbane Institute of Tafir at South Bank. They, um, they run a very, very impressive course. Um, there's a lot of feedback from there. A lot of great students coming out of it. Um, it. It's fantastic. And then the next one would be Sunshine Coast offered as well. And then it goes online a lot from there. Right. And um, so what if someone's coming through, let's say, a tertiary level going through studying architecture or interior or something like that? Can they then go on to become a building designer if they want to? Yes, absolutely. So if you've studied architecture, you can automatically register with um, our governing body, the QBCC, um, and get your low rise license yep. straight away. And you can start working on residential and buildings up to the, uh, three stories. Yeah. Yeah. So um, they, they recognize the qualification straight away as the same and you can work in the industry. So that's the restriction, three stories or less? Three stories or less. So like we can do a parking basement and two levels of living above it. Um, and that's our height restriction for a low med- low rise license. Right. And then um, if you do the diploma, you get medium and you can go upwards and you can do multi-residential. You, can, you can't quite do the towers, but you can do up to six. Wow, there you go. Yeah. That's actually, I think, new information because I think most people um, think that four stories is the cap ah. so there you go you yeah. clarified I so think. We, yeah you can go higher and then um with the commercial side of it you can do low the low rise license we can do up to 2,000 square meters of new warehouse or new industrial space right um, and then we don't have a limit on the commercial side for the medium license or the open yeah brilliant that's that's excellent and i think this is why you guys are doing really well <laughs> absolutely considering what your restrictions are um, in the industry so that's amazing and so one of the things that I've been asking every single design professional that I've spoken with is what are the software applications you use so I, I given my background in architecture I have a fair understanding but we get a lot of listeners from uh, schools and, and universities where they're teachers or students not necessarily in the in a design industry so just to clarify for them what are the software applications you guys use so in in our firm we use revit uh 2019 which is a 3d software system modeling system um it's fantastic Uh, but i would say there's only two that really own the market it would be that or archicad Mm -hmm. um we tend to see a shift towards archicad to the larger architectural firms um working on you know the million dollar projects that span three, four years and they job share and just mass, mass modelings in there. Yeah. Um, we, yeah, we, we picked Revit. Um, every firm I've ever worked in has been on Revit. Um, in 2004, when I got my first job, we were hand drawing wow. on boards. Yeah, <laughs> that lasted a week and I was so nervous I kept scratching holes in my paper. Is so, this literally with a T-square? T-square. Wow. T-square, pen, and then like a razor. Ah, oh, it was horrible. You know the funniest thing? There's going to be teachers listening to this that are going to be relieved because that's what they prefer. <laughs> but there you go. No, it's hard. And I, I'm a left-hander, so I was, I was constantly smearing my work back yep. over the page. It's... <laughs> Ah, yeah, it was it was a nightmare. So I convinced that boss to go to um, AutoCAD, and we spent four or five years on AutoCAD, which is still relevant um, yeah. in our industry. There was, you'll still find find some firms that do it, but 
it's time consuming and it's it doesn't work yeah for a business model um so yeah we use we chose revit for ours um not because of money reasons or anything like that they're pretty much the same costings for the products and the licensing it was just um we'd all had experience on it and spent 10 years using it so there was no point changing our software changing the hardware over now to something that we just wouldn't know and have to retrain of course yeah and um given the advancements in autodesk going through with 12d bim modeling i think revit revit's a popular choice so oh absolutely how do you guys keep up with the con- continuous changes that happens with the software <laughs> they force us to keep up so <laughs> it's a, a yearly subscription when you buy your license and every year they send you a new one with a new updated version and you know little videos on what's changed what's updated and you know, you're a subscriber, so you get the emails and you're expected to just basically do professional development and watch these videos and constantly know what's about to change in the in the software when you get it. Yeah, so I guess there's no choice if, you, if you're if you using it, you have to do yeah, it. Yeah, there's, there's no choice. So, you know, uh, one of the changes we saw from 2018 to 19 was, it's minor, but it was just the way that we draw stairs now. Mm-hmm. They changed our buttons and they changed the way it works and I'm still trying to work it out and 2020 is about to come out. Wow. Like it's, yeah, some of them aren't always for the best. <laughs> this is actually the challenge that a lot of students and teachers have because of its rapid changes. They just can't keep up. Yeah. So, there you go. So it's a problem that even professionals using it every day have. So w- along with your, um, the software applications, that's a given, right? So what kind of soft and hard skills do you use on a day-to-day basis as well? Do you still sketch? Absolutely. I think um, sketching is vital to to our industry. Sketching is vital to communicating with our clients and getting our, our vision across quickly. Um, you know, there's, we'll be on site looking at a house and they're asking, you know, what do you think we could do? That piece of paper is valuable. And having some skills to sketch the house and sketch a little vision for them is just, it's mind-blowing because, I mean, that's, that's a difference between hooking them and winning them and getting them excited about the project or going, ah, oh, he'll send us through something in a few days. Yeah. So it's it's I think it's uh, extremely important um, to have that skill set, and I think it's just extremely important to keep the creativity going. I mean, you can be far more creative when you're sketching, hmm. and you can just it's it flows. Um, you just come up with an idea that you know you can get out in a few seconds rather than trying to figure out how to model it in 3D. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, you know you could you could lose that enthusiasm for it if you try to model it straight away. Hundred percent. So if you break down the methodology of actually sketching do you use trace paper now i can actually see trace paper sitting <laughs> yes. on the same table so that's a given yep um how do you how do you use the different medium do you actually sketch on tablets these days so we this year we did um we've purchased all ipads with the pen and we were with the idea that we'd go to site and start sketching with the ipads and you know it was successful and it's a little bit of fun and wows people but i just don't think you can still beat the original medium of paper the trace paper is just there's a feel about it when you use it it's just um it's inspiring there you go and i love the fact that you use the word inspiring (laughs) (laughs) no i love it and um, what about communication skills like in terms of public speaking or client presentations or anything like that yeah so that's um i think that's something you really need to consider when you go into a career like this it's not you won't be sitting at a desk talking to yourself or sort of be isolated it's it's everyone's involved it's a very big collaborative kind of environment to work in and you are expected to form a rapport with your clients you are expected to get to know them and understand how they work how their family works what they're looking for um you know it, it 
a few years ago, I, you know, as a junior or working in other firms, I noticed it would be like mostly email and very formal. You know, and since taking over our own company, it's very flexible and informal. Like we call and chat, we become their friends, we join them on Facebook, we're friends with them on Instagram, we text them. Like clients don't even like to call anymore. We just get text messages with thumbs up on a change they like. It's, <laughs> it's, it's so informal and I think it's just creating like a different vibe in the industry. It's no longer this like hoity-toity kind of area to be in and you know I'm a designer I'm fantastic it's just you're a creative person helping somebody else express what they want from their home it's making yourself I think approachable as a professional as well oh absolutely that's brilliant and um it's it's kind of interesting because if you if we look back 10 or even 15 years ago it would have been just emails or a once a week phone call now when you when you're receiving emojis or a thumbs up like you said before that's um that's a whole different way of communicating and i love it so how do you keep up with knowing how do you take the time to understand your client <coughs> um so to get to know our clients is well that's the most important part because obviously we can't answer our part of the job without getting to know them so mm-hmm. we meet them at their house we meet them at their site um you know, we have coffee with them. We just sit down and chat, get to know them. We talk about their family, their children, their lifestyle. Um, just want to know, just really become a friend to them. Yeah. Um, otherwise, you know, we can't really form a correct brief or scope of work. So we need to know how they live, you know? So you're essentially describing empathy. Yes. Yeah. So how do you empathize with your client um, and does that directly start to inform how you how your concepts are derived? Yes, um, so it, it really will be. It'll be like, you know, they say we've got twin boys and instantly you know they're going to be living in the same bedroom until they're 15, so give them something slightly larger and then we'll separate them. And Or, you know, two girls need time here so they get a double vanity. It's, it, it's little tricks you pick up along the way of working in the industry for so long. You just know... It's like a code for something. It's it's reading between know, the lines yeah. almost. Yeah. yeah, you just know, like, okay, um, mum says she doesn't have much time in the morning, so you give her a suite away where she can get ready and the girls can get ready down the hallway in their own space without fighting, and then they can come together in the hub of the home and finish packing up and go to the mud room before they get to the car where everything's organised. It's just, yeah, you get to understand how a family really functions after you design a lot of homes for yeah them. <laughs> and it's it's knowing those things and i bet those clients will feel really taken care of oh absolutely i was um i was at a finished product the other day over in morningside and we went for a walkthrough and the house was stunning and beautiful and lovely but the feel i got from the house was space and function i just walked in and i could see there was everything was thought out Every room had a purpose. Every hook had a purpose with the bag on it close to a certain door for a sporting event. It was just, and it just, you know, and that only happened because I got to know the family and I got to know their routines and wrote a strong brief for them Yeah. to start the project off. Yeah. And obviously when you mention writing a strong brief, most clients will come up to you and just say, you know, I want this, 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 I want three bedrooms, I want this marble because I love it. And so how do you write a strong brief? And do you actually, after having a set amount of time um, getting to know them and empathizing with them and understanding them, do you then detail that into a breakdown? Is it a description, a a dot point? How how does that look like? Uh, It varies for every project. So some are just dot points. Some are so basic, they can be dot points. Some 
is like a journey, like a little book through what we're going to do to transform their home. Um, you know, it's it's very interesting, and I think every family is gets something slightly different each time. Of course. Um, but I just lost my train of thought. No, that's okay. <laughs> that's it's quite unique because um, I've I've found this pattern coming through on almost every single design discipline except just the end products different whether it's an app or um, in an urban design scale where you're talking about a little city or um, fashion designers which I'll be doing in the future it's all the same thinking but just a slightly different use Mm. so how do you think a building designer's thinking process is unique to let's say an architect what's the main difference between those two other than the formal restrictions I don't think there is anything. I think um, I think a building designer and an architect, we are fundamentally doing the same job. I love that. We, <laughs> we you know, it's. I think um, you know, building design was inserted in there in the '90s as a career option because there was just a huge gap between you're either an architect or you're a draftsman, mm-hmm. and there was nothing in between. So there was a need for a service that could provide in the middle. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think, you know, building design has definitely answered that for everyone um, for it. But then you know, when it comes to a final product, I don't think there is anything, you know, an architect could do better or could do worse than a building designer. I think it's it's client-driven. Obviously, if you get a fantastic client with a, a fantastic budget and a really great attitude, you're going to have a better product than, you know, from the other end. It's just... The luck of the draw, really. I don't think it matters what field you're in. No, <laughs> look, I actually, <laughs> yeah, look, I actually think I agree with you because um, it's going to piss off a few architects to hear this, but <laughs> absolutely, yeah. <laughs> I think it, it it actually is the reality because, like you said, if you like when you're explaining the, your process, your passion comes through on how much you actually spend time to know and understand and provide something that's unique to that client or that little family. And because of that, the end product is then also very unique. So if there, if you're an architect or a building designer, that label is almost irrelevant, like you said, and um, it, it becomes about the client and how much, as the professional or the designer, we then care about that outcome. Yeah. I think, too, like um, I, was, I read on a website not long ago that there was... Um, uh, they said the quote was architects feel they're capable of better a better level of detail and design than a building designer ever could now i i disagree with that obviously but then you know, i think that just comes down to who you hire and yep. the talent that each person has <laughs> yeah so i think you know nobody's perfect there's going to be bad ones in every field but i think with the building design where we're nestled in the middle there, so we will never be regarded as high as an architect. Mm-hmm. Um, so therefore, you know, the feeling is we can never charge as high mm-hmm. as an architect. Um, and, you know, I think that will change eventually, and people will realise. But for now, that's pretty much where we sit. So it's kind of people look at building design as perhaps the cheaper alternative, but mm-hmm. it doesn't. Maybe cheaper, but it doesn't mean you get a less product. Yeah. So I think it's just more a case of finding someone that you like that you work with check out their portfolio because you know just because you pay more doesn't mean you get a better product of course yeah and i think you see that in any industry where the depending on the architect they might be exactly the same amount of experience but they're both called architects the end product quality is different and it's it's the same for building designers so yeah that's great and i and i and i actually really commend you for 
sticking with that, even though it's going to ruffle a few feathers. <laughs> yes. And this is, this is a bit of a tangent, but I have this quote that I live by, become the architect of your own future. It's, it's, it's cool. And because the word architect is also cool, it works with it, but it has nothing to do with actually the building design industry or the design industry. It's more of a lifestyle yeah. choice, but um, sorry, it was, a bit of a, it was a tangent. Anyway, let's get back on things. And um, one of the things that I wanted to ask was, you've mentioned these words already, empathy. Um, it's a collaborative process. And the last value of the standard design thinking process is experimentation. So those three, empathy, collaboration, and experimentation, is design thinking. How important do you think that is within the building design industry? Oh, extremely. I mean, I think every single project that comes across our desk um, or through our door, we experiment with. Yeah. There is no point taking the safe road on anything when you could be at the end of the project asking, what if? What if I did that? What if I added a curve? What if I did an angle here? What if I changed my thinking completely and pushed the house to this side? Like, I just think the philosophy we take when we design is just, like, again, we're sketching. It takes five minutes to see if this idea will pan out. Why not do it? Like, I just think it's, you need to have fun and explore absolutely everything possible for this project before you select a path to go down and finish up for concept work. Like, I think it's, it's very important. Yeah, no, I think that's a very valuable piece of advice. But one of the qu questions that um, I think the, the younger students ask and I think have trouble with is knowing when to stop experimentation. Because <laughs> yes. at the end of the day, because it's a design project, you can do it for five years or you could do it in three months, you know, depending on the deadline of your client. Yep. So how do you as a professional, do you have any techniques on going, understanding when your experimentation part is done? Well, yeah, that one is pretty easy, black and white for us, because we have time frames to work to, we have budgets to work to, and we have to be able to construct it. Mm -hmm. So our imagination can go crazy and wild, but at the end of the day, it has to be something that can be engineered, built to a budget. Yeah. Um, and we have a brief to follow. So if we're taking it too far left of the brief and we know it's going to be a stretch for the clients to accept, that's the point where you refine and pull back. Yeah. And you know you can push their minds a little bit outside the box to go, wow, I would never have considered that, but I wouldn't the worst thing you could ever do is go, oh, here's something that's completely not what you thought about and it's 300000 over budget. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so I think that, that comes naturally for our, in, for our industry and our business here because it's, we have to manage all sides of it. We of have course. to manage it, like, the budget to the time frame to their brief. Yeah, and I yeah. think those are the real-world constraints that any professional has to work with. So it's, it's, is it through experience do you think you learn how to balance that? Absolutely. I think... You know, the first few years into this career, I would have had no clue. I would have just been drawing really fun, crazy things and going, <laughs> yeah, that's cool. I, I could try and build that. Yeah. But now, I, you know, so many years in, I know it's, it's, it's an internal process I have that works. As soon as we get a new project, it's just, you know, the first things that go through my mind. Yeah. Of, like, this is what we're going to do. This is how it's going to run. And this is what we've got to meet. Yeah, no, I like that you just shared that little bit of insight into your own psyche. And look, I think the juniors that you have here are probably going through and forming their own little processes and, yes. and design methodologies. So that's, it's unique to each person as well. So I like, I'm very happy to hear that actually. Now, if I may go down a slightly different um, topic, everyone's aware of the fourth industrial revolution happening. And uh, I recently spoke about this at a conference as well given how everything 
combining with uh, with intelligence and connectedness is bringing everything together. You know, we have I think over three billion applications on our phone now, and it's just ridiculous. Like we used to just use a phone to make phone calls. <laughs> That's probably the least thing that we do now. Yeah. <laughs> right. So with these rapid rapid technology changes, we have things like VR. Um, augmented reality and artificial intelligence coming into the design world. How do you see this impact the building design industry? <coughs> um, it's definitely already impacted, um, but we don't look at it as a scary thing. It's it's something quite fun. So we we already use VR mm-hmm. in our firm here. So we walk our clients through um, software that links into Revit that you know we can walk them through see their kitchens bathrooms and we put the the visual goggles on them and and look they look at their interiors and the selections and everything they've picked like it's it's something that's already here um it's I'd say at the moment it's still a novelty mm-hmm. for our clients and our industry and um and there's probably few firms that have really embraced it and offered it as a you know a part of the actual structure that they offer as a package but yeah um, we're looking forward to exploring it more uh, and putting it into more into use throughout our projects. But again, it just um, it comes down to that time frame thing again. Because as soon as you implement another level of software on top and another level of documentation and time, it's you've got to look at everything again. You know, your budgets, your time frames, yeah. and how it all works. So it's it, it becomes a balancing act of what we implement and what we don't. But at the same time, we we remain conscious that we want to implement enough to stay relevant and current in the industry and not fall behind and be like the AutoCAD people. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. No, that's that's actually, I think, um, wise uh, advice there. But how do you think if someone's looking at becoming a building designer and say they're entering in the next three to five years, do you think they should be investing time into learning these skills and and honing those skills in so that you know they can start to use it oh absolutely i think like um photoshop is another one like it's pre- it's an old software but it's it's still very relevant i love people. photoshop yeah <laughs> like you know um half our staff here they they all use photoshop and it's it's a godsend like it's just like thank you you know how to use that because we need you to edit this and add this and put this background in and you know um i think it's people absolutely should keep relevant and up to date with it because it's going to look good on your resume when you're applying all these extra skill sets you have and just to be to know what's out there yeah and what's coming yeah brilliant now something that i've um spoken a few times about is augmented reality now sketchup in combination with um microsoft hololens has released some really incredible things that they're testing in the u.s market so it hasn't necessarily filtered to australia yet where you can actually be on site and collaborate through the cloud and understand discrepancies in the design at a concept level through AR. So they can actually see the physical building, but it's overlaid on on top of the reality now. And um, you can understand going, this door here is conflicting with one of the structural columns. So we actually need to move it. Or actually, you know what? That window doesn't work. The client can have a headset on, the builder's got a headset on, the designer's got a headset on. So it's actually really incredible and all at a concept level. How do you see this being a game changer? I feel like it would be. Oh, well, it would be, it'd be a huge advantage to have. I mean, it's 
it's taking three industries that need to work together, like, you know, like yeah, construction, engineering, and designer, putting them together, collaborating them, so it takes out any guesswork of, like, you know, is this being too big for this spot? Will it fit? Will we have a clash here? Like, I think, you know, I, we have software like that at the moment that's already out there. Um, BIM, it's like our, our cool. base model for Revit, and you know, there is anti-clash software out there that we work with uh, a few engineers throughout Brisbane that we send our Revit model, they actually model it in and it will send out a warning if yep. like our floor pack isn't big enough, if uh, we've put a steel column halfway through a doorway or something like stupid like that. So, you know, that it's already in place, but I think, you know, that next level that you were talking about, I think that's going to be priceless for us. I think that's going to change everything, but whether or not, you know, the application works for mom and dad renovation in the suburbs, is that too far? Yeah, to to just to do that for them, or is it sort of more scaled to the larger projects? True. Yeah, and I think this is the exciting part because we're in that transition phase where all these new technologies are growing really quickly, but at the same time, it's not so streamlined and used widely enough. So combining that um, AI coding and things like that, combining with the AR world and then the VR world, I feel like the next five to 10 years is going to be really cool and honestly fun. I'm a little excited (laughs) given that I'm actually physically not in the industry, but (laughs) I think it's going to be a lot of fun. I get nervous updating my phone. This is just (laughs) more software. (laughs) Um, Anyway, like one of the last things that I always ask from our speakers is, what kind of resources can the listeners go and go so that they can learn about building design if they want to? Are there any magazines or websites or people that they can speak to or look yeah, at? Um, for the actual industry itself and to sort of look at getting your education through it, I think the best thing you can do is Google the course name, so just building design and technology, um, and it'll bring up your options through there for you know what. TAFE and what campuses offer it and uh, funding for it or hex fees for it and so forth. Mm-hmm. Um, if you are already in the industry and you're working as a, a drafts person, you can get recognized prior learning um, and you can go Skill Tech Australia and you can get signed off on a few things and then that will put you into the course to finish to get your certificates to so you don't feel like you know, you've spent a few years in the industry and you already have a base knowledge of it, you can just pick up from there. Yeah. Um, the resources um, and to keep in touch with the latest things and the trends today it's just it's looking around really it's just um, being aware of what trends are changing and all the magazines that come out like House and Grand Designs and mm-hmm. the million and one you know reality TV shows we have now about building and construction yep. I mean they're mostly about drama now but <laughs> <laughs> like they're, they're you know extremely helpful like um, last night I was reading the latest House magazine and you know there's probably five houses in there that I was drooling over that are all actually in Brisbane already in wow. New Farm and Tenerife. I was like, oh, they're just stunning. Like, yeah. and, you know, it's, it's some, some ideas I've seen, some ideas that I've seen used a lot, um, a couple of fresh ones in there, but I mean, that's what architecture is really. It's putting your own spin on something that's been done or try to find a new way to create it or just putting, you know, having some fun with it and putting some of your expression through it. That's it's wherever you find inspiration to prog- progress your design yeah. capabilities, I think. There you go. So you've heard it here first, guys. And Ryan, I think we've, I've learned so much, personally speaking, and I think the listeners are going to gain a lot from it. And um, so thank you so much for coming today. That's awesome. Thanks for having me. Cheers. Cheers.